Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Thanks, everyone. Have a seat. And uh, if you came here just for the cake, you're going to have to wait just a little. Just a little. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Uh, I'm, I'm just always so grateful. And uh, I, I try, you know, uh, to think about when I'm praying and when I'm preparing to teach, uh, to never take this for granted. You know, I think about a lot of people around the world, a lot of Christians, a lot of countries in the world where to gather like this is just illegal. You know, and yet for us, just uh, we take it for granted. Ah, oh, you know, I'm, I might go to church, I might sing a song, uh, I, I might do this, and we can easily take this for granted. And every so often we have weeks where we're overwhelmed and we wonder about God and uh, what God's doing. And to tell you the truth, as I was preparing for this week, I had one of the weirdest, difficult, challenging weeks in a long time. You ever have one of those weeks where you plan, you prepare, and all your plans fall apart, everything you thought was going to happen didn't happen, every person you thought was going to you know, show up, they don't show up, and you just start to wonder, you're like, I'm just tired. <laughs> I'm just tired. And, you know, and, and I have moments like that. Some of you maybe are shocked. Maybe you think pastors are magical hero people, or they're closer to God, you know. We wish, you know, but more that I learn how to be a pastor the more I learned that we're just ones who pray more, maybe. <laughs> we're just constantly seeking God. And so this week, I thought about how important a weekend like this is for our church. A weekend where we set a marker, like a marker and a reminder that God has been so good to us. If you've ever done this in your life, you know how important markers are, right? Like, if you don't believe me, like, just forget your wedding anniversary and see what happens, <laughs> right? You'll be like, what do you mean? You don't love me anymore? You know, whatever. Markers are important, not because they matter, you know, for the whole thing, but they matter as a reminder that you go back to those moments when things are difficult to say, God was with us and we're going to make it through this. You know, the idea of a marker and setting these markers is actually a biblical idea. God will do this with his people consistently. He'll give them a marker and he'll say, hey, after I get you through this difficult moment, put a rock there and call this location this. So they'll remember But the goal is not to stay where the marker is. The goal is that they would use that marker to go to the next place. Right? And every time God gave his people markers, it wasn't so that they can say, look how amazing we are. It's that they could say, look how amazing our God was to us. Look how faithful he was to us in that moment. And so maybe for some of you, it might be weird, but for us, kind of a weekend like this is a, is a marker. And it was for me this weekend as I went through a kind of a difficult time of struggling and of wondering about God's faithfulness. And, and just God just reminding me, Just a marker here. Just remember these markers that I've given you. Remember that I've been with you and I'm going to continue to be with you. And so this morning as we, as we learn, I want to invite you to kind of go with me to this place that I had to go to a few years ago with my wife and a team. Dave mentioned some of the stories. I'm not going to live in it too long. Where we realized that God was maybe calling us to create a space 
where would, there would be kind of a new expression of the church in the North Shore. Laval, for some of you know this, you know, is one of the fastest growing areas of all of Quebec. The North Shore is exploding with people. And we thought, you know, there's not many churches up here. You know, maybe God's calling us to do a little thing. We never imagined we'd have a warehouse space. All those things are God. Like, put a marker here. Put a marker here. Watch what I do now. So we just took a step of faith, kept going. And I remember, like, reading stuff about Quebec and thinking about Quebec. For some of you don't really know me. I grew up here in Montreal. I grew up in St. Michel. Any St. Michel people? What's up? Yeah, yeah, all right. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's where it's at. Uh, my family then moved to the Holy Land, which is St. Leonard. And uh, then... Uh, don't clap. Don't. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. It's a disaster. There's a reason we live in Laval. Okay, anyway. So, <laughs> stay away as far as possible. Okay. But you know, like, I, I'm from the city. I grew up in this community. I went to Vanier. I went to Concordia. I know what it's like. I know the street. I know the stories. I also know the pain. And I know the longing of God to see his church grow here. And whenever God does something new, he calls people. He doesn't send angels. Remember that. God could have done all of this with angels, but he sent us. And the more I think about him sending us, the more I sometimes think that was a horrible idea. What? Do you know us? And God's like, I'm going to send you because they're going to need to see me and you, so go now. And I think of things that I was reading at the time. Like, I would read the paper, or read about Quebec, and read about growing up, you know, in the Catholic church, and having good experiences and bad experiences. That was my journey. And then thinking, oh, I don't want anything to do with church, because church, oh my goodness, let me tell you, we, got, we all have stories of church. Do we need more churches? And I remember reading an article. This is a recent article, but I read lots of articles like this. You can just put it on the screen. It's an article about what's happening to churches in Quebec. It's just a picture, the picture up there. It says, Quebec boasted of 2,746 churches in 2003, but since then, 713 have been destroyed, closed, and converted. I mean, th these, these stats are going to keep coming at a rate we won't be able to kind of manage. And I remember when I, I would read things like this about the church changing, society changing, churches closing, I, I would often pray this, God, I hope you send somebody to Quebec to help the people. Send somebody. And in my quiet time, God's like, yeah, I am sending somebody. You're going to go. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not doing that. I don't know anything about, like, starting a church. I don't want to have to raise money. I don't want to have to encourage people to do this. People don't even care. And I remember telling people in my family who don't believe in God, they don't care about church, they don't, I mean, they, don't, they won't even visit here, whatever. They have their stories, right? And I remember telling them about this, telling them about, hey, I'm moving back home. They'd be like, oh, that's great. What are you going to do? I'm like, we're just going to try and see if we can gather with some people to be the church. And they would say, why would you do that? They would look at me and say, you know, this is great news that there's less churches in Quebec. You have people in your life that believe that? The less churches, the better. We don't need any more religious people in Quebec. We don't need more annoying Christians in Quebec. We don't need any more religion in Quebec. If you don't know anyone like that, you need to get out more. But for me, I didn't have to go that far. I remember meeting people who were saying, you know, this is great news. And I thought, wow. Then I met another group of people. The other group of people are people who are just sad. Those are like more nostalgic people who remember, ah, Le Québec, you know, ah, nice churches. You go to the old port, you get a picture near a church. You never go too close because they might ask you in and you're like, oh, forget that, right? But you got you to gotta get the nostalgia of Quebec and how beautiful. They were just sad that they were losing just the heritage, maybe the beautiful stories, the beautiful pictures. Quebec is really famous for using some of that beautiful religious heritage even in TV shows. 
There's shows on TV that are filmed in churches. Not because people are going back to church, but just to feel like, oh, isn't it nice when, you know, people just walked to the church. It was nice. They were just sad. They mourned that. But then there was another group of people, a group of people that God was stirring here that said, this will not stay this way on our watch. Because it's easy to be happy that it's going on. It's even easy to be mad that this is happening. It's even okay to be sad, but it takes a different kind of courage to say, it's not okay that this is happening. It's not okay that this is just happening and we're just sitting around hoping that God just fixes this problem without saying, God, would you use us? Would you use us to make a difference? We don't know how we're going to do that. But would you use us and would you draw other people who care about seeing new churches emerge? Now, many of you know this. If you've been here long enough, you know that the church is not like a building. You know that the church is the people gathering together, worshiping Jesus and growing together. But you also know this, that the less churches there are, the less likely that people will see a visible representation of God's people together who worship. The less churches that are there, the less there's a location where young kids can go and learn the Bible and learn about Jesus with other young people. The less churches that exist is the less likely that people will slow down enough to go deep in their Bible to grow up in their faith. The less churches. We're not here to just talk about buildings. We're here to talk about the visible representation of where the people of God are. And whether we like it or not, we live in a culture that as much as people don't like church, if they want to explore who Jesus is and what the church is about, they're going to look for like a building and say, where are the people gathered? Like, well, where are these people? What are they doing? And if you don't believe me, maybe you need to come to some of the events that we do when we're in a park saying that there's a church in Laval who cares for our neighborhood, who cares for our community, because we did that last weekend. Because a lot of the people who may be interested in God won't come here right away. They might have to see us first. They might have to hear us just caring and loving and listening and laughing. And actually, for the past few weeks, like starting last week and for the next few weeks, I want to talk to you about people in the Bible who, who believed that God had forgotten them. The Bible is filled with stories of people who just felt like they weren't good enough, they were tired of God, they were tired of religion, tired of spiritual things, you know. And these people went on and lived their own lives. They did whatever they wanted. And I want to tell you about these people this morning because it's so important to go back and to learn about some people in the Bible when Jesus met them where they were and they were never the same. Never the same. They were completely transformed. And when we learn about these people, one of the things we learn is that Jesus finds people in these broken, messy situations, and some of the people that Jesus meets are people that you and I would have hated. We'd be like, oh my goodness, them again. Those, oh, those types are here. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Jesus was just so great at just knowing when people were, were just open. And the people I want to talk to you about are two people who are rich. This is so important for us. Because I remember when I was kind of learning about church and growing up and thinking about faith, I always believed that Christianity was for weak people. You know, people believe that. Like Christianity is for weak people, need to believe in some Santa, God in the sky. They need religion as a crutch. You know, ever hear that? People say that? You're like, it's so nice you go to the church. That's nice for you. That's good. That's good. It's good. But, but we've grown up. Like we're more mature now. We, we don't need that anymore. And I, I believed that for a long time. But you know what corrected that for me? Reading the Bible. It corrected because you meet people in the Bible who are not weak, they're not lonely, they're, they're not like struggling in weakness and looking for a God in this guy. They have everything. And they're rich and they have influence, they're networkers, and Jesus shows up with them. And you would think that they would be like, why do I need religion? Like, why do I need God? Why do I need any of this? But then they meet Jesus. I want to tell you about two people 
They do kind of a similar job, so I thought I'd put them together. And because it's our anniversary, I could preach for like two hours. <laughs> some, some of you already like, no to the elders, they're very concerned. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I want to tell you about two people, Matthew and Zacchaeus. Matthew and Zacchaeus. If, if you have a Bible, you know that Matthew goes by two names. Sometimes in some of the books, his name is Levi, like Levi Jeans, and Zacchaeus. These are two men in the Bible. When you meet them, they're like, get out. Religious people are so like annoying. And I got to tell you what they do for a living. Their jobs are very unique. Some of you know this already. They know how to make money. These guys, these guys can hustle. These guys are street people. These guys would have grown up in St. Michelle. I'm kidding. There's a lot of street people. They, they know how to network. They know how to get around. They know how to make deals. They know the right people. Because they, in the Bible, are called tax collectors. They're the top of the top. And they're also great at lying. You have to be a liar a little bit to be a tax collector. You have to be good at cheating and make it look like you're a victim. You know what? Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know what I gave you less than you paid. Yeah, I can't remember. Oh, wow. That's good. That in the Bible, I want to begin by telling you about a moment when Matthew, Levi, is kind of doing his thing, and he's being a tax collector. And if you're taking notes and you want to go just like a bit further to think about this, to be a tax collector in the Bible times was a job you had to bid for. Meaning you go to a meeting, like you'd bid for a job, and you would say, okay, Roman Empire, okay, leaders, uh, we're going to be tax collectors of this region, and we're going to give you a certain percentage of what we make. And sometimes if someone said they're going to give more, to get the bid, you'd say, okay, we're going to give you more than them. We're going to give you more. So you would keep bidding until you got the job. But the only problem is if you bid too high, guess what? You had to make that money on the street. So that means you have to be a tax collector who bid enough to know now all the people who I collect taxes from have to give me enough money to make up the difference of what, for, for getting this job. So when you were a tax collector, man, you knew how to deal, you knew how to be in meetings, knew how to, and you knew how to collect money. And you knew how to bully people when they didn't give you the money. Everybody knew the tax collectors. And if you want an image in your head of being a tax collector, I was trying to think about this because in our context, a tax collector doesn't come to your house and ask you for a tax. They just take our taxes. We're like, I don't even know. Or they take your kids. I don't know what they do, but, but they just take things. So I was like, it won't, it won't apply maybe in the same way. So I thought about, think of two people or two jobs, think about two jobs that you think are the worst job you would ever have. You got them, the two jobs? Two jobs, worst job. One better not be pastor. Okay, two jobs. <laughs> Some of you are like, that was mine. You leave right now. Okay, two jobs. I, I picked two. I, I don't know if this one. It's like a politician that lies a lot, and we know that they lie a lot because we have the internet and we can check, lie a lot, and a salesperson who's always selling. You mix them together, whoever's born is a tax collector. <laughs> like I was trying to give you, is that, is that good? No, it's bad? I thought it was pretty good. Or like an annoying person you always want to avoid. You have those people? You, you see them? You're like, everybody has one of those people in their family. Sicilians. You want to avoid them. Just, <laughs> we have none here. It's okay. So next week is about forgiveness. So be back. <laughs> next week it's forgiveness and love and friends. Friends. Next week's sermon is on friends. Okay. <laughs> this is a party. Matthew is a tax collector. And one day Jesus shows up. Jesus goes to see Matthew. This is what it says. After Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, or Matthew, sitting at his tax booth, follow me, Jesus said to him. 
And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Can you imagine? You read your Bible, you're like, wait a second. First of all, I have a lot of questions. Why would Jesus go to someone who's a thief and a liar, a cheat, and say to them, follow me? That's always confused me in my life. I thought Jesus looked for people who were like a little bit good enough and then made them better. He didn't find bad, bad people and say, you're going to follow me and you're going to change. Watch this. Maybe you believe that lie. You believe I can only really get serious about God when my life is all tidy. Let me tell you right now, that's never going to happen. And the devil will keep telling you to believe that just to keep you away of the good things that God has in store for you. Now, when things get better, when you get your marriages better, when your finances are better, when you're not fighting a lot, then you could, maybe you could help. That's never going to happen. And the great news about the Bible and the great news about Jesus is he had a way of being with people whose lives were so strangely corrupt and broken and slimy. And he says to them, hey, hey, you would be a different person if you followed me. Imagine how crazy this is. And it doesn't tell us that Matthew followed Jesus and the next morning he woke up and he magically was uh, changed. He magically like, became like super holy. Jesus does something that we as a church really work hard at having at the heart of who we are. That we know that sometimes people say yes to Jesus and it takes a while for them to be transformed in the way of Jesus. And we give people room and grace and space for that. And I wish we knew more. Like what, what else happened in this conversation? Like did Jesus just say like follow me? Or did Jesus say, follow me, or if I come back tomorrow, I'm going to smash you? What happened? But what we know happened is that Levi is so convinced that this Jesus has something in store for him, that this Jesus is inviting him into something beautiful and new that he throws a party. Is that great? I'm about parties. I thought, we're, we're having a party. Let's talk about parties. Levi throws a party. And remember, Matthew has a lot of what? Money. So he's throwing a? Serious party, entourage party. Champagne, let's go, let's go. DJ, DJ, spin it. Who does he invite to the party? Look how great this is. It's amazing. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of his sketchy friends and others were eating with him. All of them. Can you imagine? The disciples are like, when we tell our wives this, they're going to lose it. Like, you're walking with Jesus and it's like, He's like, it's going to be great. You, we know that Levi is so transformed by this moment that he's like, other people, other people need to meet you, Jesus. And I could see Jesus saying to Levi, saying, do you know other people? Oh, do I know people? No, I'm Facebook friends I have. No people follow me on Instagram. I'm going to have a party. We're going to do a big party. It's going to be great. And Levi goes. He throws this big banquet and Jesus shows up. And we know from whatever you want to assume that's happening here, that after that party, Levi knows that all of his friends who are tax collectors are going to watch the way he lives. They're all going to watch the way he deals with his tax issues. Because Levi has to leave his job. He's going to follow Jesus. Does he like just quit his job? We know that soon after, Levi will follow Jesus. Most likely scholars say that he'll divvy up his taxing job and give it to other tax collectors and say to them, hey, 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 we, we had the party with Jesus, right? We're, we're going to change it up. We're going to change it up. He knows how important it's going to be now 
to be someone who goes back to those people that he knows and that they see that he's never going to be the same, that everything's changed. I wish we had that first conversation that Matthew has with his wife. Huh? Go home. She's planning a trip. And he's like, okay, babe, about the trip, I, I don't do that job, the big money job anymore. What do you mean you don't do that job anymore? That's why I'm with you. Because it's not in the Bible. I'm, I'm just making it up. But <laughs> don't send me an email. I don't made up Bible stories. I'm just saying. Like, man, she would have been like, you're following who, where, who are you following? It's this rabbi. His name is Jesus. Maybe you heard about him. I saw him talking to people, and as he was talking, I knew he, it was for me. It was for me. Baby, baby, it was for us. It was for us. So what did you do? Like, I, I quit my job, and I told him tomorrow I'm going to be ready to go. What would you do? Your husband, your wife says that to you. You'd be like, I'm going to leave you. Matthew's like, let's go. Let's do this. The feeling of saying, I'm never going to be the same. I've had all the money. I've had all the connections. I've had all the networks. I threw the best parties in town. But then I met Jesus of Nazareth. I will never be the same. Some people who met Jesus left everything. They left everything and they followed Jesus. They just realized, I gotta, I, this is what I got to do with full time. This is it. And for some of you, maybe that's where you're at now. You know the stories. You love Jesus. You know the Bible. Maybe God's saying, hey, a change is coming in your life. I know you thought you were going to do this. I know you thought you were going to do that, but I'm calling you to do something else now. I need, I need you to come up with a plan of how we're going to do something else. Because I need some of you to step out and trust me and go what I call you to go. Now, not everybody did this when they met Jesus. Some people just stayed in their jobs. And I'll tell you about one in just a minute. But I want to remind you how important it is that we feel the responsibility today to be those who've met Jesus and want other people to know that Jesus has changed something deep in us. There's a, biblical, a deep biblical doctrine for what this means. And if you've been to a Bible study, you know this. That deep biblical doctrine is the doctrine of grace. If you've never heard of grace, let me tell you it in a very simple way, because it's not simple. The doctrine of grace is that God loves you before you ever understand how you're going to love him. That's that doctrine. And for thousands of years, Christians go back to it and say, this, whatever Jesus was doing, he was doing that. He was saying to people, God has loved you before you ever understood this love. God was looking for you before you were ever looking for him. God is about to change your life before you're even ready for him to change your life because he loves you. So watch now. And you want to be those who say, because that's happening to me, am I perfect? Of course not. Am I never going to make mistakes? Of course not. But I want to grow. I want to mature. I want to be more like the Jesus who, who I met, who changed me. I want that. I want people to see that I, I act differently in situations where I, I should act like my old self, like I used to be when I was a tax collector, show up with a bat to collect money. I need to be different because I met Jesus. I was so convicted this week when I was working on my sermon because a situation happened this week with our home, uh, a bit of uh, with, with, with trying to get some stuff for our home, a little renovation, calling a company. They said they're going to help us, on and on and on. Lies after lies. We missed this. And, and I, I shared with a few people, you know, and I was like, I'm going to lose it on them. The only problem is my email underneath my email, it says, Pastor Dom, 180 Church. So I'm like, I need an email where I email people back and I take that out. 
So I could just lose it like anyone. And then I'm like, of course, that's not what I'm going to do. I need to learn how to live up and respond differently to a situation where somebody definitely has made a mistake and I want to kill somebody and my wife wants to kill me and the stress on my level went, in my house went from 2 to 25. And so as we were talking in the week and the person was like, you know, I uh, made a mistake, they were acting kind of a little bit like laissez-faire, it wasn't a big deal. And I was like, no, no, this is a big deal. They're like, yeah, I did make a mistake, but we're going to take care of it. I'm like, no, you're going to take care of it now. And I, I, I kind of raised my voice. I was really frustrated. And then Friday morning, I sat down to pray, and I was trying to work on my sermon, and I had a sense that God says, email that person and tell them you apologize for the way you spoke to them. I'm like, no way. I'm, not do- I'm quitting my job at the church. <laughs> I try these things, trust me. So I sit down, I have like my sermon, have my email. Hey, buddy. It's Dom. I really, really spoke in a way that was unacceptable, and I apologize. Thanks for working this out as best you can. And I felt as I was working on that, I'm gonna, he's going to think I'm weak. There's no weakness. You can't show weakness. You know what? Like I said something, you, you can't show that, because then they're like, oh, whatever. You'll get your stuff in six years. <laughs> and I hit send. People need to know never the same. Never the same. It's a simple thing. They responded saying, thank you. It means a lot to say that. It's not magical. It's not like floating on the cloud. What you go through, I go through. What we go through, people in the Bible went through. They had to learn how how are we going to remind people that grace has done something in us, that God's love is transforming something in us, that we ask for forgiveness, we respond in a way that's like, this is more kind, more gentle, more patient. How do we do that? That's what happens in the story. And I want to model that. I want to model that, and I'm asking you to model that so that people would meet you and not see you just as someone else who's just as angry. Oh, I hate the government. I hate, whoa, 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 what's happening? We're never the same. We can be frustrated. We can be disappointed. But we've we've been transformed. Something's happening. Matthew follows Jesus. Matthew's now walking with Jesus. Jesus is correcting Matthew as they go. How many of you think that Matthew every so often swears while he's walking with Jesus? How many of you every so often Matthew says something like, I know that guy owes me a hundred bucks, I'm going to smash. Matthew, you're with me, walk, walk. Think about it. Jesus is just giving him root, just Matthew, walk now, watch now. But along the way, there's another tax collector. This tax collector is even more important than Levi and Matthew. His name is Zacchaeus. And we don't know much about what happens in the story, but I have a feeling that Zacchaeus probably knew that Matthew was a tax collector and that Matthew now is following Jesus. This is what we're told, that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. How many of you know the story? Many of you know the story? You've heard it? I think there's like a cheesy church song that we sing about this. I don't really know it well, but I've heard it. It's super cheesy. And I want you to think of your head, in your mind, think about it. Have you ever seen a rich person run in your life? Have you? Have you ever seen Kim Kardashian run? 
Never. Have you ever seen like a president run? Have you ever seen a diplomat run? They're running from jail. We know something that everybody in the Bible knows. Rich people don't run. Wealthy people sit and people show up. But Zacchaeus, he hears about Jesus. He's heard enough about him that he's like, I got everything. I'm wealthy. I heard of this Jesus. And what we're told is that he runs to find a tree that he can get into to hear and to take a look at Jesus. Can you imagine people who work for Zacchaeus being like, hey, boss, you're running? Like, I've never seen you run in your life. What's going on? He runs. He just wants to hear. Jesus had a way of having a sense of when people were ready after they had, they had tasted of all the things the world had to offer. Jesus shows up. It's like, are you happy with all your money? How are you doing? Your great wealth, is that great? All your connections, is that good? And we're told that Jesus does something that in his wisdom and in his awareness, he sees this man up in the tree. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Can you imagine? Now, we don't know for sure, but probably Zacchaeus knows that Jesus kind of makes room for tax collectors. One of them is following him already. His name is Matthew. Levi. And we also know something, if you've been reading your, your Bible a long time, you know this. How does Jesus know Zacchaeus' name? Like he's walking around, there's a strange guy in a tree. How does he say, hey, Zacchaeus? So the Bible doesn't tell us how, but likely Jesus has been in this community before and he knows who Zacchaeus is. He's aware of his wealth. He's aware of, he's aware of his influence. He's aware of his connections. He says, Zacchaeus, let's do a party at your house. Matthew probably would have, I'm just assuming Matthew's there. He's like, bro, it's going to be amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> call the guys. Call the guys. That's what's going to happen. And it, Matthew had like a rich person party. Zacchaeus has a great wealth person party. You know, millionaire, billionaire level. Like, it's different. Jesus is like, it's going to be great. Now, it's easy to miss this. And if you're taking notes, I want you to remember this. Because you could read these stories and be like, oh, old Bible story, who cares? Just think about this. It would have made Jesus and all of his disciples unclean to go and eat in a home with tax collectors. Jesus basically is inviting himself into the house of a tax collector, knowing that to go into that house is for other people to see him and say, hey, rabbis like you, they don't do this. It's, you're going to be very unclean now. And there was a process sometimes of how to wash yourself and do prayers to like, deal with the uncleanness. The disciples would have been like, Jesus, when we go home tonight, our wives are going to kill us. They're going to ask us, like, why are you unclean? Where did you go? Yeah, one of those parties with the DJ. Jesus, he just, he does this. Who are the people in our lives, like Zacchaeus, who feel like, I tried everything. Does anybody know anybody? Does anybody have a different way of life? Has anybody been transformed by God's grace? Anybody? You know, some of you are here and you remember when you felt like Zacchaeus. You felt far from God. You felt like everything was broken and messy and there was no room for you. You know how I know this? Because I prayed with you. Because I've been there. And the greatest joy for your life is when you're with somebody who feels that and you say to them, there's a way that's different than this way. 
And it's the way of Jesus because he makes people never the same. Do you want to learn about this? Do you want to just see what I'm learning? Am I perfect? Of course not. But, but Jesus is transforming us and doing something new. I'm going to invite the band to come up and we're going to just close. But Zacchaeus is going to have a party and he's going to invite Jesus into his home, welcomes him. I grew up learning that people in the world will, will hate our faith. And every time Jesus is with people in the world, they love Jesus. I'm wondering, maybe they, they don't like us because we don't know how to explain Jesus in a way that they can understand. They love being with Jesus. He's saying to them, your life's going to change. And it's so important that you understand that Zacchaeus will remain a tax collector. He doesn't just follow Jesus like Levi. There's some people who meet Jesus and their lives are changed and they start to follow Jesus. Some of you are that. There's other people who meet Jesus and be like, whatever I'm doing now, I have to do in a whole new way. Because Jesus has changed me, I understand. And this is what Zacchaeus tells us. He says this, all the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be a guest of sinners. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 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 here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And I have cheated, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. If you're taking notes, you have a Bible, you want to write this down. That the people who mutter will never see the miracle. The people who mutter in the story have never even seen that Zacchaeus' life is beginning to change. That he's beginning to confess and to realize that because he's hearing Jesus, he's like, oh my goodness, there's people who are poor and I took advantage of them. There's people who had very little and I cheated them of their money and I asked for more. You know what Zacchaeus is, is experiencing? Zacchaeus is having a 180 experience. His life is being turned around. And there are people there, the religious people who are there, saying like, this Jesus, he's going to be unclean. I can't believe he's doing this. They're muttering and they're missing the miracle of what Jesus is doing. Churches are full of these people. People who are busy wondering what, what they're going to do with their places while God is changing everybody around them. Because they're mud, they're mud. Look, oh, look at this, look at that. Can we commit today on this anniversary weekend to never let that get into our hearts? That we would look where God is transforming people's lives and say, this is never about me. Let's celebrate that God is changing this person. Was Zacchaeus be perfect? No. But I can imagine the next week at work when people see Zacchaeus and they're like, hide, hide, he's coming. I owe him $200, he's going to kill me. Hide, hide. And he says, no, no, come, come. $200 this week, you don't have to pay. Don't worry about it. They would have been like, what are you talking about? What do you think Zacchaeus would say? I met Jesus, his teacher. He told me things that money could never buy. He revealed to me a way of life that's beginning to heal me. And from now on, I'm going to be a different kind of tax collector. I have to collect taxes, but I'm not going to cheat or steal or lie, and people will watch Zacchaeus because he was never the same. Many of us have to learn what it means to, to do that, to stay where we are at work and to think about the, the jobs that we have and to say, God, how am I going to be never the same here? I think of our students watching from Ambrose House. I think of many of them in university and some of you who are students here and you have a job and you have an important job and you're in school and you're working hard and sometimes it can be hard to know how will this job bless the kingdom of God. Do that job with integrity. Do that job in a way that honors Jesus. 
Study not because you're trying to pass a test, but because you're trying to be used of God wherever he places you in the future. Do that. And do that so that God shows others that you're never the same because of Jesus. I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to sing this song. And I'm going to invite you to think about what it means that Jesus is still doing this. That Jesus is still calling people like Levi and like Zacchaeus, like people in our communities that are broken, like those who don't believe there's a place for them in the church. And Jesus is saying, just come now, watch. Watch what I do. Let's sing the song before I come up and close. I'm gonna sing Now my heart starts to change oh, I'm gonna worship Till I mean everyone Cause the way I feel And the fear I'm facing Doesn't change who you are Or what you deserve You still deserve it. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy of my soul. Pour out your praises and blessing and breaking. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy of my soul.
Can you just give me the last slide, Luca? It's the last verse. That's what Jesus says at the end of the section. Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. For the Son of Man, it's a title for Jesus himself, came to seek and save the lost. What's something that if you lost it, you would give up everything to find it? What is that thing? I know what I'm like when I lose my phone. Pretty crazy. I know what I'm like when I lose my keys and my wallet. Pretty crazy. But I wouldn't give up everything for those things. Maybe one example is if you lost your kids. You'd be like, I'm going to turn the whole world upside down until I find them. Whatever that feeling is, multiply that by a thousand and understand that God said, I will give up everything to find you. That Jesus comes in the midst of a party, in the midst of people in the back who are muttering, in the midst of those who have tips, and these people are like, God can't love us enough. Jesus is like, watch salvation now emerge here. Watch. That Jesus is calling us to have the kinds of hearts that care enough about those who feel lost and to remind them that there's a God who's seeking them out and he will find them and that he will use us and his church as part of that. And if you don't care about that, you're going to hate this church. You're also going to hate reading your Bible because that's what the Bible's about. This God who's relentless. Say, I'm going to find them. I'm going to go. Even if they're not ready to come, I'm going to go to them. Where's their party? I'm going to that party. Now, with wisdom, we want to be a church that makes room for that. To say, God, would you help us? Would you help us take risks and trust you in ways, even though that we're not sure how we're going to make this work? We're just not sure. We're not sure how we're going to make more room for our kids. We're not sure how we're going to hit the budget. We're not sure where we're going to find more power. We're not sure, but we're going to dream. Before I pray, I want to tell you just one last thing, and I'm going to let you go. This week, I told you, my week was a pretty crazy week. And I had moments where I thought, God, send someone else, do this with someone else. It's just too much work, too much time. People I've prayed with have not shown up. People who said they're committed, they don't care. People, all the stories went through my mind, all of them. And on Tuesday, I got a call on my phone from someone in Ontario. It's a person that I met when I went to speak at a conference there years ago. And every time I speak outside of the 180, I ask people if I can speak about our church. I'm like, like an old grandparent showing pictures of their grandchildren. I'm like, look what we're doing. It's amazing. They're like, yeah, we know. And they said to me, we, we were praying as a family, and we were praying God impressed on us to send a gift to Quebec for what you guys are doing in Quebec. So how do we give to the church? And I was like, what? They're like, yeah, just this morning as we were praying. So I called them. I, I just said, this is amazing just as I was thinking about nobody's with us and we're not making, and I'm not sure what the next step is and I'm, I'm scared, overwhelmed, but I'm excited and I don't even know what I am. God's like, people are praying and people are giving and people are with you, so keep doing what I called you to do. Those who are lost will be found. So I connected them to our finance person and they sent me a note the day after, said, Dom, we made a gift, we're praying with you, we're with you guys. There are people who are with us in this. They're with us. For some of you, it's time for you to get with us. Because there's people that you love that are Levi's and Zacchaeus. And they think Jesus is not for them, but Jesus is for them. So let's just pray as we go. 
Father, thank you for sending Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for the way you came. Not only your presence and your power, but your patience, your kindness, your wisdom, your courage, and most of all, your cross for us. Teach us what it means to be those who live in the legacy that you have made us never the same, that you've changed everything. We thank you for the story of Matthew, the story of Zacchaeus. We pray that we would take them so seriously and believe that you are still doing this today. Would you use us? Use us. And help us to know that other people who are praying with us and giving and supporting, they're with us too. As we go now and we celebrate, may you just remind us that you're calling us to some new things that are going to require risk and sacrifice. Help us to do that with wisdom. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, everyone. Thanks for being with us. It's a really special morning. Joining us online, we look forward to seeing you in person. Hey, we have some cake for you. Enough to rush off. Some coffee. Last thing I want to say as well, as, as you kind of grab a coffee next week, if you remember, just bring your coffee mug. It just helps us environmental stuff, keeping things clean. It's important. Love you guys. See you next week. God bless everyone. Yeah, cake. Grab some cake on your way out.